Today's episode of Destino, a New Japan Pro Wrestling podcast, is brought to you by the HTM Podcast Network, still online, hittingthemarks.com. We're also brought to you by the Hameen Media Group, hackerhameen.podbean.com. Both previous episodes with myself and RBV previewing the entire New Japan Cup, as well as the episode with Mr. Joe Morin covering the Together Project, as well as nights one and two of the New Japan Cup, uh, still available if you're just now getting around to watching the shows. You can also find us over at ndpw.com and at thegorillaposition.com, where they tell the stories of pro wrestling storytellers. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and now at iHeartMedia. Yeah, that's a thing. Hameen Media is sponsored by Vince Russo's The Brand, as well as The Brosters, the official coffee of Vince Russo. Been drinking an awful lot of coffee the last week. Been a lot of New Japan shows. We're also brought to you by Stevie Richards Fitness and, of course, ProWrestlingTees.com, the only place to get the best merch from your favorite independent wrestlers, as well as a lot of the New Japan talent. On today's show, I'm joined by John Enright, a gentleman whose knowledge of New Japan ranks right up there with my own. Looking forward to discussing the end of the first round and the beginning of the second round of the New Japan Cup with him. We also have our first stardom show back, so I'll be discussing that here shortly. So let's go ahead and get into it. But first, here's my friends from Down Under. This is Knife Party. You blocked me on Facebook, and now you're going to die. At their event, Stardom is again held in Shinkiba First Ring. I have to admit, it was great and a little bit odd seeing and hearing fans at a show at this point. It's like we've just been conditioned to accept that this empty arena era, that these shows are, are the dreaded words, the new normal. Then, especially on Monday, watching New Japan live inside a Corican Hall, going back to an empty arena... I'm sure John and I are going to talk about Empty Cork and Hall in segment two. It was just absolutely bizarre to me. Sunday's show opened with a 10 count for Hannah Kimura, just a little over a month since her passing. This being the first stardom show, it only seemed logical that this would be how they opened the show. They are still planning on a Hannah Kimura tribute show, so it'll be interesting to see if they do another silent 10 count at that show. No announcement at the time of this recording on the Hannah tribute show, or really any other show at this point. Hopefully those announcements will be coming soon. We will keep you posted. Before the show itself got going, Jungle Kiona came out to address the crowd. Jungle said that she was unable to participate and she will be back as soon as possible. It wasn't a surprise to me that Kiona wasn't in an emotional or mental state after Hannah's passing. The two at times had a strange relationship, but seemingly had gotten very close over the last few months. We wish Jungle the best and hope to see her back in action very, very soon. So let's go ahead. Let's talk about the show itself. Full show now available online at stardom World. Dot com for your viewing enjoyment. This was a totally different experience watching Stardom as it was a mystery show. Much like New Japan's New Year's Dash and the New Japan Together Project show, matches were not announced until the beginning of the show, Inside the Ring. After seeing a couple of these shows over the last week or so, while they're fun and exciting and you never really know what you're going to get, it could just be a couple of killer singles matches or just a group of random tags. But I thought Stardom did some great and interesting business on this show. 
Your first matchup of the evening was a triple threat between Rina, representing Tokyo Cyber Squad, and her sister Hina, representing Queen's Quest, as well as Natsu Samir, representing Oedo Tai. Hina and Rina team up against Natsu most of the match, even being in different factions. The twins' bond is still very strong. Rina and Hina, only 13 at this point, come a long way since their debut in October of 2018. Rina picking up the submission win when she taps out her sister in 8 minutes and 55 seconds. Your second match of the evening featured Saki Kashima falling to death Yamasan in just a little over five minutes with a crucifix. I know I'm not the biggest supporter of comedy and wrestling, and I think those of you that have listened to me for a while now realize this and probably expect me to absolutely hate death Yamasan and the gimmick. But the Kiss fan in me can't help but laugh and smile every time I see her antics inside the ring. Your third match of the evening, and probably my highlight of the night, Natsuko Tora, the leader of Oedo Tai, takes on Tokyo Cyber Squad's Konami, two of my favorite characters inside of stardom. I was torn in my allegiance on this one. Thankfully, it looks like this may just be the beginning between these two. After roughly nine minutes of singles action, Tora took her chain, wrapped it around Konami's neck, and tossed her over the top rope, leading to a disqualification. I'm all for a full-fledged feud between these two, but the other thing that I find interesting here is where Konami is being positioned. With Hina's passing, it seemed leadership of TCS would kind of default to Jungle Kayona, but putting Konami into a feud with the leader of Oedo Tai, perhaps Konami is in for more of a leadership role. Regardless, I am fully on board with these two having a knockdown dragout for the remainder of 2020. Next up in tag team action was a 20-minute draw, Queen's Quest Civil War. AZM and Momo Watanabe taking on Saya Kamatani and Utami Hayashita. The larger story of the match, though, came in post-match when Kamatani and Hayashita issued the challenge for the Goddess of Stardom Championships, their tag team championships. The current champions from Oedo Tai, Bea Priestley and Jamie Hayter, not currently in the country and kind of stuck on that travel ban. We'll have to see when this match happens, but it should be a fantastic match when it does go down. Speaking of the Goddess of Stardom Championships, the latest episode of We Are Stardom is now available on YouTube. The episode focuses on the tag team titles. Three matches on this week's episode, Thunder Rock, the team of Io Shirai and Mayu Iwatani, take on Sendai Sachiko and Dash Chisako from Sendai Girls in 2015. Thunder Rock versus Miko Setamora and Kairi Hojo from March of 2016. That match is fantastic. As well as Jungle Assault Nation, the team of Jungle Kayona and Natsuko Tora pre-Oedo Tai take on the Queen's Quest team of Momo Watanabe and Utami Hayashita. Finally, your main event of stardom is again an eight-woman tag. The stars team of Mayu Iwatani, Starlight Kid, Saya, and Tam Nakano taking on Donna Del Mundo, Julia, Shuri, Micah, and introducing their newest member, Haimika. Haimika has been around the Joshi scene for a while, most recently working in AGZ, leaving in March of this year. She's also worked with Wave, Ice Ribbon, and Diana. An absolute monster size-wise versus the rest of the stardom roster. Our friends over at LastWordOnProWrestling.com have a great write-up if you would like to know more about the latest addition to the women of the world. The most interesting part of the matchup, however, are the numerous face-offs between Julia and Tam Nakano. Last week on Destino, we jumped into Julia, who she is, her past, and her quest for the white belt, and we kind of wondered who would be placed opposite of 
her on her journey with Arisa Hoshiki's retirement and the passing of Hannah Kimura. If the answer to that question is a Julia versus Tam Nakano feud, I will gladly accept. If you're not watching Stardom and you're not yet familiar with Tam Nakano, do yourself a favor, head over to YouTube, check out her match with Arisa Hoshiki or Kegetsu, and get back to me when she becomes your favorite wrestler. So that concludes the Stardom Report. Good show front to back. Available now on demand, stardom-world.com. So let's go ahead. We'll throw it over to our friends at the Brosters to tell you about Vince Russo's Bro Coffee. And then in our Midwest Music Mafia feature this week, we head to Seth Rollins' Neck of the Woods in the Quad Cities off their album Original Fire. It's Speedfinger with their track We All Testify. We'll be right back with John Enright to talk some New Japan Cup. Bro, if you're a real coffee lover, then you've got to try Broaster's Limited Edition Vince Russo Bro Coffee. Available right now at www.thebroasters.com. This limited edition coffee is fresh roasted weekly and shipped directly to your door. You will love the Nicaraguan blend with roasted chocolatey notes when you smell it. Get your Vince Russo Bro Coffee today at thebroasters.com and follow them at Coffee Brosters today on Twitter. Enjoy the best coffee today, bro. From Brosters, Vince Russo Brand, and Hameen Media Group. When you don't know what to do, We've all tried to find out. 
so we're back to talk some New Japan Pro Wrestling, New Japan Cup. Mr. John Enright joining me. John, how are you, man? I'm doing good, my man. I get to watch New Japan Pro Wrestling. So what what other thing do I have to complain about? Right. And it sounds <laughs> like it sounds like we're gonna get even more New Japan because not only did they add the four shows that I talked about last week on to the uh, end of July, now they're adding on these Lions Break Project shows. They're gonna be on New Japan World starting July third. Have you heard about these shows? No, I haven't. I that, that's just brand new news to me. So I'm excited, man. And the more New Japan you get, as the NFO podcast says, hey, what's better than more Star Wars? What better than Star Wars is more Star Wars. The What's better than New Japan? More New Japan. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not afraid of stealing a good line when it's there. So, uh, you know, I mean, I'll watch it. You know, at this point, I, I can't stand anything else. Ring of Honor's not running still. And, uh, you know, WWE is not watchable. And, you know, I, I don't have cable in AEW. I'm, I'm the only reason why I'm watching AEW is for Lance because he's my boy. But other than that, you know, I'm just kind of. Kind of glad New Japan's back because it's it's giving me the feels. It's nice to have some real pro wrestling again. Uh, these yeah. these Lions Break Project shows are going to be live on New Japan World um, starting July third at ten p.m. Eastern time, so nine p.m. in the Central for us, and then that'll be like six the best on time the West zone. Coast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Central the best. time. Central. Central time is the best time zone. Anybody says different, you come at me, Jay Reezy man, and I will I will put you down. No worries. But it's cool. These are actually New Japan of America shows that they filmed at the uh, L.A. Dojo. The first show okay. is going to be Clark Connors versus Alex Coughlin. So we get to see a couple of the American Young Lions. And then your main event, check this out, Jeff Cobb and Rocky Romero take on, Holy cow. Take on T.J. Perkins and Carl Fredericks. Spoiler alert, Carl Fredericks is going to take the pin in that match because he's the young lion. But right. TJP, Jeff Cobb, Rocky Romero, hell yeah, man. Sign me up. I'm down to watch this. Yeah, what, what is not to dislike about that right there? And, I mean, it's live. It's it, You're getting to see it. I mean, live to tape, but still, you know, it's you get to see some good wrestling, and it's American wrestling. I mean, I can't wait to hear Kevin Kelly. You know, I mean, to me, he's the, one of the best in the biz. And so to be able to listen to that and hear that call and, um, you know, the L.A. Dojo has been killing it. Those guys are great. I, I don't care who you are. Uh, as much as I want to say the the New Japan regular dojo is good, these guys have been outstanding and I will watch whatever they put out. This is also that series of shows. Filthy Tom Lawler from MLW will be making his first New Japan Pro Wrestling appearance. What do you think of Filthy Tom in a New Japan context? Uh, it's interesting. You know, I haven't seen a lot of Filthy Tom because I, I, I'm just now learning about MLW just through tweets and stuff. So I'm trying to go back and catch up. Um, you know, when they were here for the Dallas show, that's kind of when I first heard about MLW, you know, when they were bringing back the Von Ericks and, uh, to Dallas, which was awesome. From what I heard, uh, I had a friend who went and they were like, it was amazing. But, uh, you know, so I'm kind of learning a little bit about him, And I think, man, that dude belongs in a new Japan ring. If there's ever somebody who's an American who embodies strong style, that dude is it from what I've seen so far. And the thing that's so cool is he wrestles that more MMA shoot style, right? But he, right. Would, he would technically be a junior heavyweight. So you could see him in like a Super J Cup, a Best of Super Juniors, like even if it's just like the Jeff Cobb deal where he comes over and does a tour, that'd be awesome. Really, 
I didn't know he was he was considered a, a would be a, would be part of the Super J Cup. Like he would be a junior. That's because he wrestles bigger than he looks. Yeah, he's only two hundred and five pounds. Wow, that's impressive. I mean, I'm I'm here for it, man. Just the things that he could do to some of those guys in the best of the Super Juniors. Man, that it's gonna be it'd be good. I, I'm down for that. Yeah, give me Filthy Tom versus Zack Saber Jr. I want to see that match. Oh my God! Yes, now that you said it, I want to see it. Wanna it's got to happen it. now. Hell yes. Uh, let's talk a little bit about New Japan Cup. You, you brought up Kevin Kelly. Are are you missing having the live English commentary on these shows, or are you waiting on delay to watch him with Kevin Kelly on commentary? No. Well, I mean, if I could. If I right now, because someone gave me homework, um, Mr. Dargo <laughs> gave me homework, so I've got to watch it with the commentary. But I, as much as I want to, I want to see it with Kevin Kelly, just because, man. I mean, don't get me wrong, Jr. Tony Schiavone and Jr. Great. I mean, to me, Tony Schiavone is probably the the top tier right now. But Kevin Kelly's right below him, and I mean, just the fact that he's able to do a lot of things though that Jr. and Tony both do as one person, I think that probably takes him up a notch. It's just his calls, the the thing when he calls Destino or Rainmaker, those things just are etched in my brain, and I expect to hear them when I'm watching right now. I have to turn the the, the the sound down because the the Japanese commentary is not the same with it, it's you get the you get the fire and the passion but you don't get that thing that you're used to with Kevin Kelly you know so I I don't mind me. the Japanese commentary but the wife has been going back and watching some of these shows and we, I've been trying to watch them on delay with her with the Kevin Kelly commentary. And I love Kevin Kelly, but I think I like Kevin Kelly live much more than I like him taped. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, his 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 live calls, just the, the what he comes up with, just on the spot to me is just that's what makes the magic. Yep, absolutely. I think Morrow's kind of that way too, where I prefer him live as as opposed to live to tape. Yeah, uh, totally. Uh, the, this series of shows, the first couple of shows, were in that beautiful arena. And I didn't miss having fans whatsoever. And then these three shows, we shift back to Corrick and Hall, and man, it felt hollow. It did. Like, you could actually hear commentary, like, over the in-ring mics. It felt so hollow. I didn't like Corican without an audience. Yeah, it was weird to see such a historic place so empty with nobody there except for, you know, the Young Lions and whatever staff and the – and the commentators at the table. I mean, that was, it was almost shocking to see such a hallowed place be so empty. I would have rather preferred they stayed at the other place. I get why they did it. I know because they're building up to being able to start having people at shows again, but man, until you're ready to get people, I would have just stayed in their first place. The undisclosed location until you're ready to start having people and then do corking with people in it because it was just weird without it. Yeah, it just it felt so empty and the acoustics in that room without people to absorb the sound were just awful. Uh, but the shows themselves were certainly not awful. Let's start things off with Region 3 on Monday. This is what we have dubbed the Block of Death. And as as our friend 8-Track Black said on Twitter, it wouldn't be a New Japan tournament without a couple of upsets. Show starts yeah. off with a six-man clusterfuck tag. El Desperado, Suzuki, and Kane Amaro versus Gabriel Kidd, Yota Suji, and Uamura. Spoiler alert, the Young Lions did not win. 
big shocker. Yeah, I know, big shocker, right? But I, I always enjoy watching Suzuki just torture young lions, so that's always fun yeah. for me. Oh, they! I mean, I love Murder Grandpa. He's my favorite in the whole world. I mean, uh, you know, when when Lance was involved with New Japan and just him being a part of Suzuki Gun, really to begin to appreciate Minoru Suzuki, Suzuki and his career just i just did a deep dive into him being in pancreas and just seeing some of that stuff and then then watching him in new japan and noah and i'm just like holy cow this dude is he really is the king of wrestling there is no moniker that fits better than that for him and then just to watch him lay waste to young lions i mean my kid loves it he thinks suzuki's the best he thinks oh, i love it when he just beats up the young kids you know he <laughs> it's great to watch because to me, there's no better entertainer than him. He knows how to work a crowd, to get heat, to do everything needed to be probably one of the best wrestlers in the world. And at his age, to do what he does is ridiculous. It's crazy to me that that match with Nagata was on his 52nd birthday. Oh, tell me about it. That was that was so crazy. And I love that match. I can't wait to talk about that match. Still, still the highlight of the tournament for me so far. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sonata defeats Ryusuke Taguchi. Uh, I, I didn't think that this was any kind of a big surprise, but Taguchi looked really good in this match. Yeah, I was surprised. I'm going to be honest. This is one I kind of had circled as a background uh, match because I'm not a Sonata guy, and Taguchi is so comedy wrestling. It's it, he's uh, he's not quite Yano level for me, but he's almost there um, with some of the gimmicks and things he pulls off. So. Um, but I didn't see any big surprises. There was nothing that stood out to me. I mean, yeah, he tried to do the paradise lock and it, you know, it was not working and, but it, it wasn't uh, to, for me as a match, especially with trying to do comedy, we'll see better down the road here in a minute, but this was just a whatever match, especially following watching Suzuki Gun, Cause I'm more partial to Suzuki Gun, and then seeing something like this, it just, it didn't do it for me to be honest with you. It was one of the sleepers that I thought was, I'm going to go take a piss break on this one. My problem with comedy spots, especially right now is they don't work without an audience to react to them. Exactly. It, it just, it, it falls so flat. Yeah. And, and I mean, there was a lot that to do to Gucci does that requires that, fan interaction and the response and uh you know watching him take atomic drops to the butt you know it's just kind of like all right it, but it doesn't work because there's nobody there to kind of respond to that and so uh, you know this is one of those ones why was this on the why was this on the card could we have just done something different if they'd have done something a little bit different like we'll see later on with some of these matchups i would have preferred it but it was a sonata match i did like the the uh the cold skull to the giant swing that was kind of unique and different i thought um but to be honest with you it was just it was there i kind of hope that taguchi thinks that he's joined lij now <laughs> that would be hilarious like with the whole thing like, with the t-shirt yeah oh that would be hilarious i would be down for that just to see him yeah i'm not you know it's no longer taguchi of japan i'm in lij now and his his sometimes the thing I love about him is his uh, aloofness to things. I think that's what makes him a enjoyable wrestler. It's sad to me though. Like thinking back to Apollo fifty five, like I never yeah. would have thought this would be Taguchi's career trajectory. 
Yeah, it, you know, which is interesting. But the, you know, I'm wondering if this is not something to extend his career. You think about it, the way he he wrestles and the things he's doing this way, being a, a technically a junior, you know, he's probably extended his career a good bit by not doing some of the crazy stuff that these guys do, jumping off stuff and everything. He's playing a character that he could do for a long time, and he's not taking the bumps that some of these guys are taking. And, you know, it, maybe it's smart on his part, and he recognized that. I don't know. That's a very good point. Let's talk about a, a match that was the exact opposite of that. Show defeats Shingo Takagi in what I'm calling an upset. A lot of people had this one picked, but I, I just I couldn't buy it. I, I thought that for sure that if they were going to try to avoid the Lij versus Lij matchup in Sonata versus Shingo, it would have been somehow been Taguchi stealing one from Sonata because I just could not imagine Shingo going out in the first round. But boy, did Show Tanaka show up! Holy crap! What a match out of show this was incredible i mean really this this should have either followed or or started the show it was incredible just the fire of the match the storytelling that show has never beaten shingo and you know the the fact that he had to use his finisher twice to put him down you know just the storytelling the i mean they beat the crap out of each other they followed that almost that um, Nagata Suzuki formula to a T and I loved it. I was there for, I'm, I'm love. I love that kind of part of new Japan where guys just go ham on each other and just, cause let's be honest. Shingo is, he's a heavyweight, but you know, show has, is on the same level as him as far as physicality. And so, uh, I don't, when I think heavyweight, I don't think of Shingo. I'm still kind of, yeah, junior makes sense. Um, but man, I love their work. Both of their work was incredible. Um, and I mean, Shingo and show both their selling in this match was on point for me. Just, it made it look like, you know, we know it's a work and then, but I mean, they did things to each other that you were thinking that is real because of their reactions and their selling, man. It was, it was up there. This is probably one of my top five matches so far that has been going on in the tournament. Completely agreed. Um, as, as far as the matchup itself goes, I have to think this is another match that we could see a potential rematch at Dominion for the Never Open Weight Championship. Shingo's got that over his shoulder right now. Shouldn't Shobi have earned a shot at the title by now? Well, New Japan logic would dictate that he does. He's got a pin in the tournament. So, um, and hey, I'm here for it. If he goes after the Never Open Weight, um, because he pinned him in the cup, I'm down for this. And, you know, I can't help but wonder, kind of like they protected uh, Suzuki from Okada, if they didn't protect Shingo from Sonata and everything like that with this booking, because it made sense in the sense of, hey, show's got to get a win at some point. They've been off for so long. And the show's body type, man, he, I mean, he bulked up and he was on a level. And I mean, I loved, I, I don't know if you watch the, sometimes the interviews after, but Shingo was talking about, man, he hurt me. I could feel it. You know, it's not like before um, when they were, when they wrestled the night before and it kind of set the seeds for that turnover to tonight. I thought it was just good storytelling and it just really, I think it protected Shingo because you don't have to deal with that LIJ mess. And then two, really, I know that this is an upset, but this to me was the more logical choice that show goes over Shingo rather than Taguchi. Cause let's be honest, Taguchi's not going anywhere. He was just there to be a filler. 
to me, this was going to be the more competitive match because of the history. And this is the one where I definitely saw that this, the upset with the show was going to be more likely in this case. Where are you at with Rapungi 3K? Do you want to leave them together or are you ready to split these guys up so show can go off and have the singles career that we're all anticipating for him? You know, that's a good question because here's the thing. Who do we have for in the, for tags in Super Juniors? Right. You know, there's not a ton. And then you're going to be mismatching teams together and things like that. And so could you get away with Show st- and, and Yo staying together as Rapongi 3K, him doing the never open weight thing, uh, getting singles runs, um, but at the same time maintaining that team so you still have a more – experienced team on the roster. Cause let's be honest, you know, LIJ, their, eh, their best, you know, their, their tag team is no more because the, the only one that really they have left technically is Bushi. If I remember correctly, Well, I mean, they would have to do like a Bushi and Hiromu team. Right. Which I mean, are you going to do that with him being your best of super junior, you know, champion? Right. Uh, I guess they could do that, but you know, you want your champion to be a fighting champion. And if he's having to do two belts and tagging and, and doing that, it, it diminishes the other belt. The other belt's going to take priority. Um, and, you know, I can't think of any major teams off the top of my head, you know, the other than Sho and Yo and, and uh, Bushi and Hiromu, which that's not really a team. So, you know, I, I would say keep them together. So you have that cohesive unit um, for the long run, but show has shown that he could do the big boy matches. And so that's where I'm kind of torn. I don't have an answer for you, Jargo, but just because I, I want to see him together. I like him together, but show has really shown that he can step up and do that singles thing real well. Let's talk about probably the most anticipated match, at least from a work rate standpoint inside of the first round of the tournament. Kota Ibushi defeats Zack Sabre Jr. in a matchup that we have seen like seven times now. I think Ibushi's like five and two now against Zack Sabre Jr. Um, Yeah. But this match felt different. Like Zack Sabre Jr. tried to step up to Kota Ibushi and outstrike him, which I really, really question the uh, logic there from Zach. But this one, it was it was fun because it actually felt like a fight. It didn't feel like a choreographed routine. It felt like a fight. It really did. And I think what Zach was trying to show was that, hey, anything you can do, I can do better. He was trying. He was kind of doing that aspect. He doesn't want to be considered just a submission guy. Um, and so I think he saw this as an opportunity to really test his mettle as a striker and, um, you know, and, and, a, and a more than just being a submission guy. And, uh, you know, it did it bite him in the ass in the end? Probably so. But in all actuality, you know, that's what made this match so great was like you said, it was, it was a fight. You know, you could tell it, it almost seemed like they really did hate each other, that they want to just beat the crap out of each other. It was pretty brutal at times. Um, and, you know, but at the same time, Ibushi almost seemed a little like he was saving some room in the tank. Cause he knew he was going to go further. You know, there was that moment of, I could go further. I could do crazier, but he almost seemed methodical in this aspect rather than his normal crazy. Hey, I'm going to go jump off this stupid thing because it looks, it almost was like, Hey, I know I have to go further. So I'm going to do what I can. 
and he was almost purposeful in his fight compared to normal. And 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 I I it I think to me it translated. Yeah, it was a fist fight, but it was almost like a a brawler versus a prize fighter. They, they, that, that's how it felt to me a little bit. One of my favorite promos in all of professional wrestling history comes from Zack Sabre Jr. when he was facing off with Kota Ibushi in the G1. I want to say it was two years ago when Ibushi had just come back to New Japan and was doing all kinds of crazy stuff, jumping out of balconies and whatnot. And Sabre says in the post-match comments to Ibushi, if you try to jump on me from out of the balcony, I'm just going to (laughs) move. Yeah. I remember that now that you say it. That was hilarious. That was it's oh my, my one God. of my favorite promos ever. That and I love a uh, petulant child Zack Saber Jr. is my favorite Zack Saber Jr. When, oh yeah, when, yeah. When no. he's just throwing a fit. I love it. Oh, Jargo, I gotta tell you. So when we were in, when they came to do the G1 in Dallas at the press conference, you know, my kid he knows some of this, but man, when Zack Saber Jr. came in, he goes, "Go back to England, you stupid nerd." I mean, he was. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is I would, one or two years. He's 12, 13 years old. And he's he hates Zack Sabre Jr. Because th- like he said, he was a petulant child. And of course, we got that in the G1, just the pitch and the fit and everything like that. And Blame you know, Boris. my kid was. Oh, yeah. Just yeah, just all that stuff. You know, my, like, my kid is like, Papa, can I give him the bird? I'm like, no, there's people here. You're 12. You don't need to be giving people the bird. You know, so, you know, he's like, go back to England. Hey, you know what's better than England? Nothing. You know, I mean, he's he's giving him the business. So that I do have to say, uh, Zach Sabre Jr. does a great job of getting heat. Uh, he knows how to do it. Um, he, to me, you know, he, he's sitting under that Suzuki learning tree and, um, you know, it made this great in the match. And I love the fact that Ibushi had that surprise knee at the end with the Kamagoya. It was almost like, all right, I've been saving this for you. And he just hit him with that knee and came with the Kamagoya. You know, it was, like I said, it was almost purposeful. He was, both of them were on point. It's almost like, and I mean, I know somebody probably said this, but it's almost like being off did a favor for all these wrestlers. It gave them time to think about what they're doing, their characters, uh, as well as their work in the ring. So, they're coming back, not only refreshed physically, but to me, creatively and mentally, they have been on that next level. A lot of them have been. I had this realization in watching this matchup about Zack Sabre Jr., and it makes me feel dirty. Zack Sabre Jr. might be the most exciting wrestler on the face of the planet. And that sounds just ridiculous because his <laughs> style is is not that of a a typical junior heavyweight who's flying all around and doing the flashy moves. But any piece of offense that you throw at Zack Sabre Jr., he might catch and turn into some kind of crazy submission that you've never seen before. And it's like you can't take your eyes off of a Zack Sabre Jr. match. Oh, I, I agree with you totally. He he can he can end a match uh, at any moment, you know. Now let's remember, Mister Jargo. He is technically a heavyweight now. He might get pissed yeah, at you, right? And come uh-huh. into a hole. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, I could, I have I have craps that are bigger than him, but you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it, that's the thing about it. That was what made him. You know, like when we when we watched in the G one, that was what made it so fun. Was hey, he can end a match. In, in two minutes, if he wanted to, um, let's be honest, that's, that's the, that's what makes him so great is he's able to do some of these things that counteract. Yeah. He's not the biggest guy, but he can counteract anybody's size with the things that he does with his offense. And 
that's what makes it to me. That's what makes it exciting. He's the underdog. That's not really like I wouldn't. It's hard to call him an underdog because man, he can do stuff to people that you know. You're like, how is that possible? How is that even possible that you're able to do that to someone? So I, I, I love him. I think he's great, even though I hate him and my kid really hates him. Um, but from a worker standpoint, I mean, this match had it all for me, work rate wise. It was really good. I think you just described Switchblade Jay White in this house. Well, that was that one too. Yeah, no, he, that no. was the other one my kid got so hot at was oh. Jay White. He goes, Hey, your country's not even real. Australia's <laughs> not real. And, he, and I said, Jacob, he's from New Zealand. New Zealand's part of that. He's not real either. It's a fake country. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. Those two have heat in our house with my, at least with my son. With the Ibushi win, the stage was set for the Golden Lovers, or no, I'm sorry, the Golden Aces to explode because everybody knew that Hiroshi Tanahashi was going to beat Tai Chi. Hell, I even got heat for the first episode of Destino on Twitter from our friend Ice-T Shane because we didn't give Tai Chi nearly enough love when it came to the preview show because, dude, luck of the draw, man, you drew Hiroshi Tanahashi in the first round. Like, you're yeah. not going to beat the ace. And then Tai Chi goes out and pins the ace basically clean. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it's a tainted victory for sure. There was plenty of interference. He jumps Tanahashi before the start of the match. But Tanahashi put Tai Chi over stronger than hell. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, once again, Gato's booking. I'm, he's showing why he's such a good booker. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I was the same way. I thought Tana was just going to walk through this and – Holy cow, the Golden Aces are going to be, you know, fighting each other in the next round. And what does he do? He turns it on us. Tai Chi walks over. I mean, I want to say walk over, but man, it was a. It was dominant. It was dominant. And it was, I was just so surprised. And it, like at the same time, it felt like Tana was. Uh, and I can say call him Tana because we're friends because we met and, you know, I got a picture with him. So, uh, <laughs> Tana, was, he, it almost was like he took Tai Chi not so seriously. And Tai Chi, on the other hand, was just all over him. It, it was it, – he wore him out, it felt like. You know, um, you know, kind of one of those – when my grandparents would say, all right, you got to go to the woodshed to get a whooping. That, it it kind of felt like that. There was never – to me, once I saw the match and I saw everything going on, I was like – this is incredible. You know, Tana to me, just, he looked like he was wore out at the end because Tai Chi just did everything he could. Um, you know, and then, uh, just the ending sequence was such a surprise ending. I was just, cause you know, you see this where Tana gets beat and gets beat and gets beat. And then he turns around and he comes back and he fires up and then he wins and it didn't happen. I was just like, Holy cow, this is, I'm, I'm what's going on right now. But, I was for it. I thought this was a great. It was a great match. I love the surprise ending. Uh, I love just the work rate in this. I love that Tana put him over so hard. Because let's be honest, Tai Chi, as much as whether you like him or not, he has the ability to be that next level star. I think he's he's an underrated guy on this on this little roster, and I think they're starting to recognize that and start to build him up to that next level, which, Hey, I'm for it. You know, maybe he becomes the new leader of Suzuki Goon If murder grandpa retires at any time soon, I don't think he will. I mean, I think he's going to keep kicking ass until he's dead, you know, and even then he'll 
he'll get up out of the ground and be zombie Suzuki and just still kill everybody. Um, you know, but I thought it was such a, a good match, a surprise ending. And to me, just Gato showed the, the brilliance of his booking uh, on that aspect of it. Yeah. After this one match, I suddenly view Tai Chi as a legitimate intercontinental championship contender. I do. I mean, I look, let's be honest. Would, would I be surprised if he went all the way? Yes. But now uh, to me, he's more credible. And I think he'd go deeper uh, than what I originally thought when this tournament started. Well, I feel like this, this next matchup against Ibushi is, is going to be very, very telling. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, um, you know, let's be honest, Ibushi, he, he's got an incredible work rate. He's my pick to go forward. I mean, I'm an Ibushi guy. You know, I think he's great. Uh, honestly, I don't see Tai Chi getting past it, but I see once again, what if he does a lot of this stuff that he did in this round and then maybe it puts him over again. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, to me, that would be my thought is, okay, well, this is our tag champion. So let's let Tai Chi run over both of them. I mean, he's basically beating both guys. So does that mean he gets a tag shot with whatever partner he chooses in Suzuki Goon, um, where him and Zach, the dangerous techers go after him. Um, and then it lets him kind of move forward as well. Uh, there's a lot of possibility here with Tai Chi that you could do that, now that he's maybe he's run through both golden aces and he says, all right, dangerous takers, we're coming after you. Or he goes deeper into the round and we get to maybe see him challenge for an intercontinental um, along those lines. I'm I'm for it. I, I don't mind this at all. Tai Chi might be my most hated talent in New Japan Pro Wrestling, but I got to admit he, he's really reframed himself just over the course of these few days of the tournament. So, oh, yeah. Apologies to Ice T Shane. Hopefully, we talked about Tai Chi enough for you today. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Feel better. Let's talk about Region Four. This went down on Tuesday. Show starts off with Bushi defeating Yo. So only one member of Rapungi 3K moves on. I thought Yo looked really, really good in this match, and it kind of tells me how they really view Yo because Bushi never beats anybody in singles matches. Yeah, no, I, I think it does. I, I also found it interesting that Yo came out to new music. Normally he comes out to Rapongi 3K's music, but he had his own singles music this time, uh, which was interesting. Uh, you could see the, the match chemistry, the, the chemistry these two guys have together. Um, you know, I didn't, it was a good match. There was nothing overly exciting, but it's New Japan. So anything average is better than anything else out in the world. But I, I thought it was a good start out of the gate match to set the pace for the rest of the night. Um, you know, the fact that Bushi went over, I, like you said, I was kind of surprised um, that he did that. He's like, you said, he doesn't beat anybody. Um, but at the same time, to me, it made sense because you, I don't think, let's be honest, yo, wouldn't would not have progressed further. And I don't think it would have been a benefit to him. Whereas this protects him a little bit. Bushi's known for being the pin eater of new Japan. So he goes forward and he's going to eat a pin for whoever he has to face next. It protects yo keeps him looking good. They had a great match together as far as setting the pace and doing everything. But if we're honest, this is really the only way it could have gone because anything else would have made yo look bad. And so Bushi had to win to protect Yo if we're going to do something with him. If we do split them off, we want him to be a strong uh, a junior heavyweight so he can – I think him and Hiromu would have a great match if they go – if he goes after that um, junior heavyweight title. 
You know, it, it's sad about Bushi because I really, really like Bushi. But the reality is he's like the number two junior in LIJ. Yeah. Yeah. And I've never been a Bushi fan, but he's not my least favorite wrestler on the roster. We're about to get to my least favorite um, here in a little bit. But yeah, it's it, it, he's he's not bad. It's just he's he was already overshadowed when, let's be honest, Hiromu was in in uh, doing his excursion. Yeah. You know, everybody kind of had a good idea he was going to come to LIJ and everybody was for it. And then Bushi was then was just there. So, you know, I mean, he's a good worker. There's nothing wrong with his work rate. There's nothing. I mean, he's a he's a stable hand, but and that's what they needed for this. But they also need somebody to be that pin eater. And that's what he does best. Yeah. Poor Bushi. Let's talk yeah. about Yoshihashi. Yoshihashi oh, defeats God. Tenzan. And, Do I have to fucking talk about this? Come on. Well, it, the thing that's crazy is like as good as the third region is, region four just was not. Yoshihashi and Tenzan, like Tenzan has no business being in this tournament at this point, nope. as much as I love the guy. And Yoshihashi is like the bottom of the list when I'm looking for guys for the G1 or New Japan Cup. But as I'm looking at the way these brackets are, it's like, are we really doing the Yoshihashi thing again? I, I don't want it. I don't not here for it. I mean, let's be honest. Um, I can't stand Yoshihashi. He's, I was, I, I, this is probably bad to say, but when he was running out and he fell and he smacked his face against the ring and he was out for all that time, I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was, that's probably mean to say, but I think the reason why this, this match was, I'm not going to say it was terrible. It was okay. And I think Tenzan made it okay. You know, Yoshihashi can't carry a match. Tenzan, with his experience, hey, he he tried to pull off a, a moonsault. When was the last time he did one of those? And that was just, I was impressed. Man is, what, 49, and he's trying to pull off a moonsault with those bad knees, and he did it, and hey, I'm here for it, man. That was cool. But, you know, the thing I think I really, you could see the difference in, man, Tenzan's stuff looked real, whereas Yoshihashi's looked like garbage. I mean, that butterfly lock at the end, it was just, Really? You know, the thing, really? the thing with Yoshihashi is like you look back like seven years ago and you can see the potential. You can see why they were super high on Yoshihashi and he just never progressed at all. Yeah. But yeah, he feels like he's stuck in neutral. Like he, he's got this gimmick, which I don't understand his gimmick. First of all, what it's supposed to be, maybe because I don't speak Japanese or I don't understand the culture. And then it, he, he's never progressed from there. The only thing he's done, he's gotten a haircut and he walks around the big stupid stick that never gets used. Uh, and I mean, there's nothing exciting about it. I, there's nothing about him that goes, I want to follow that guy. Um, it, like you said, potential only means that you ain't crap yet. You, you haven't done anything. And that to me is like, he's, he's just that guy. Um, and he, once again, pin eater, I expected Tenzan to move forward, to be honest with you, because Yoshihashi is a pin eater. And I mean, this is, I was like, yeah, I could see Tenzan moving forward. I think that would be a cool story that he moved on to the next round, but he didn't. And I have to deal with Yoshihashi in the next round. So I don't know who he faces yet. Cause I didn't look at the brackets, but I hope whoever it is just beats the ever, ever living dog crap out of him. Your clusterfuck tag on this show, Chaos versus LIJ, Ishii, Yano, and Okada versus Hiromu, Shingo, and Naito. And there were two uh, 
face-offs inside of this match that I thought were interesting, even when it comes to a clusterfuck tag. Number one was the interaction between Hiromu and Yano. If you, if you weren't familiar with the story between Hiromu and Yano, I think they got you all caught up inside of this clusterfuck tag. And I can't help but notice that they keep putting together these multi-man tag matches and somehow, some way, Okada and Naito end up facing off in every single one of them Kind of makes me wonder if Okada is going to win the New Japan Cup. You know, I think that's a red herring, to be honest with you, Jargo. I think they're trying to set it up so it looks that way, and then something happens to where it's not going to happen. Um, and I think um, uh, that is kind of their red herring, where they, they show that. But, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what Gato's doing. He's trying to set us up to where we think Okada's winning again and something happens and it's not Okada. And, um, you know, so, but I don't know, you know I mean? Gato so far has shown that he's willing to do things booking wise that is different, you know, letting Yoshihashi go through, getting some of these other things <laughs> to happen. You know, he's, he's willing to be, you know, creative and, and, and think outside of the box here. So what if he's telling a story that okay, we're gonna do this, but let's say Okada doesn't make it through New Japan, and his redemption is in G1, and then G1, then he gets to go to the Dome, and he gets to re- redeem himself there. I, maybe that's the case. I don't know um, because that man has you know got booking. Uh, he's done a great job with it so far. I've loved pretty much most of the stuff that he's booked, and I'm I'm here for it. I've enjoyed most of it. Most of it. There was that one though. We'll talk about that one. Goto defeats Yujiro. This this could be that one because we all know (laughs) that, you know, I'm not a big fan of Roman Reigns. I mean, Hiroki Goto. And uh, Yujiro, as much as I love the guy, is an eat the pin guy. No surprise here that Goto gets the win. No, it really wasn't. Um, I do like that top rope fisherman suplex on Goto, though. That was pretty dope. Um, You know, I, I I didn't like having uh yato out yato out of this outside interference but i understand why because let's be honest when you look at them size wise i mean yujiro does not look like a heavyweight he no. is you know he is bottom in heavyweight at best maybe upper levels you know junior and so it made sense you know like this this i can understand he didn't have peter there was no other ladies he could bring in because you know business is hard and so uh having him on the outside i think it made it made sense. It's not like sometimes people are outside and they interfere and it doesn't make any sense. This made a lot of sense in the storytelling, um, but it just it was just there. I did like the the rope hang uh, GTR, but to me it, it was and it didn't bury it because of the outside interference again. Uh, Jado's just keeping bugging him. I mean that should have ended the match. To be honest with you, that you know hanging rope gtr was just it looks sick you know um seeing again on replay just going oh my god ooh, that looks that looks real and um um but i did like the ending sequence it was a good match they were two there's these are two workhorses that are just steady consistent and if you like work rate and if you like um you know just different things they do a good job of it um and the interference made sense so i can't hate on it as much as i want to but uh, I mean, because I, I like it a lot better than the Yoshihashi match. Let's put it that way. That's, that's going to be my standard of crap is Yoshihashi. And then we're going to go forward from there. So it doesn't meet that level at all. And um, so for me, it was definitely a pickup from the match before. Goto now 15 and one in his career against Shujiro. 
Poor Yujiro. <laughs> poor Yujiro. Evil defeats Kojima in a battle of true heavyweights. Uh, both of these guys, legitimate heavyweights. Um, I, I was not surprised at all here to see Evil get the win, although I was pulling for the leader of the bre- of the bread club. I, I wish they would do more with Kojima because I feel like he's got so much more to offer at this point in his career. I do too. I hate Evil. Evil is probably right under Yoshihashi on heat on hate on hate. Ouch. I, I, yeah, I don't I don't get the gimmick and everything is evil. Dude, get a new catch line. I'm 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 I can't like I can't do his interviews, his matches to me. I there's always there's always a sequence. He's all he seems just so formulaic with his work. I don't see the creativity in some of his matches. Um, you know, this one was pretty good. I think once again, you have that veteran in Kojima who's helping him with this match that, that, you know, brings it up a little bit of a level. Um, you know, the top rope Koji cutter was cool, but you know, bearing it, you know, that should have ended a match, but, Oh, I know how strong evil. I can't stand evil. I just, it wasn't bad. I'm not saying it was bad. I just, I'm not an evil guy. And I just, you know, walking around with the, the gimmicks and it just doesn't work for me. He doesn't seem scary. If like if the evil gimmick was on somebody who seems scary, it may be different. But uh, he he seems like he seems like I don't know. I just I'm not there for him at all. My problem with evil at this point is Lij is basically a babyface faction, and they have a guy named Evil. Yeah. <laughs> like, could you imagine a crowd of twenty thousand people chanting "Evil, Evil, Evil"? be kind of weird yeah no yeah it it is i mean i don't get the gimmick per se and i know he's been having it for a while but you know something needs to change either with the gimmick or his style for me for it to be for me to get behind him as a wrestler you know right now those are it's either the gimmick's gotta go and or his style has to change uh for me because neither one works for me right now agreed Let's jump to the Wednesday show, basically the left side of the bracket. Ishimori defeats Kanemaru in a blood feud renewed from Pro Wrestling Noah. And the match did not disappoint for me with Kanemaru jumping Ishimori during the entrance. I thought these two guys just went out and beat the crap out of each other, which is exactly what I expected with Ishimori getting the win because, let's face it, we need at least one Bullet Club representative. Yeah, and I mean, I think there there is only one Bullet Club representative as a Bullet Club fan, so um, you know that that needs to move forward. But also, too, the history of the story uh, was told in this match. This match was just you see Ishimori working and working to he, he wants that win. And uh, I love the spot where uh, the whiskey spot where Kinemaru goes for the whiskey and Ishimori covers his mouth and makes him swallow it. Um, you know, I know it was a kind of a shorter match, but the point was they were, they were not wrestling. They were fighting. They were beating the crap out of each other. And, you know, I knew that let's be honest, Ishimori was going to defeat Kinemaru. Um, not because Kinemaru is a pin eater, but because this was the story that they were telling that he's, you know, th- when they were, they were heavy, kind of like show with Shingo, they were heavy with, he's never beaten him. He's never beaten him. And then of course, I, it just, to me, it just set up the fact that he was going to win. Ishimori was going to win and beat him, but the way they did it, the story they told behind it, I was here for it. It was a nine minute match. And 
they told an incredible story in nine minutes. You don't have to have 45 minutes to tell a story. They did it in nine, and I thought it was good. Great way to start the, start the night. This might be the first match I've seen Ishimori work basically babyface since, like, what, Impact? Yeah, yeah, because, you know, yeah, in Impact, he was had that, like, Jungle Boy-type gimmick, and he was a babyface there, so, yeah. Kind of crazy seeing Ishimori yeah. portrayed as a babyface, but against Kanemaru, yes. it's it's pretty easy to do. It is, and I mean, I think, too, though, you had to have a babyface in the story. Heel yeah. on heel works, but I think uh, Ishimori, let's be honest, he's he's a better babyface. Um, he's got the look, the smile, everything about him just screams babyface, even though he's in Bullet Club. Um, and so I think this this match kind of showed his, you know, his proclivity towards babyfaceness. Looking forward to his next matchup. Ishii yeah. defeats Makabe in a battle of two men who just wanted to beat the ever-loving piss out of one another and mission accomplished. Tomohiro Ishii moves on to the next round. I kind of thought that they might go with Togi. I thought they might put Makabe over here just because of the star power to keep fans engaged going up until the Osaka shows, but no, they go with Ishii. I'm not saying I'm sad, but I am a little surprised. I am too, but let's be honest. Ishii has really risen his stock in the last three to four, three to four years. I mean, he's he's proven to be a capable workhorse, but also that even though he he doesn't isn't big or flashy, he's charismatic in the way he goes about his things. And he doesn't say much, he doesn't do much, but man, he's good for that. And I mean, Makabe, yeah, I know he's big in Japan. But like I just I see him as a big gorilla. Somebody called him a big gorilla, and like when he talks and he he moves, I, that's what I see. And so to me, this is two ships passing in the night, one rising and one lowering. You know, I mean, I think Ishimori is kind of taking that mantle of Makabe's mantle. I think a little bit because um, Makabe is getting older. Um, I'm not saying he's out of he's out of gas. Um, he needs to retire, but he he's on the back end of his career and. I don't know how Ishii functions with some of the stuff that he does in his matches. I don't know how that dude, he literally is a stone pit bull. I mean, um, you know, seeing him in Dallas, I mean, that dude was probably my height, you know, and he's just jacked and he literally is a stone pit bull. I mean, that's the only reason why he's standing and able to do the things that he does. You know, I liken this to two bulls just, knocking the crap out of each other and and they didn't care if they were in a china shop if they were an auto place wherever it was they were just going to keep running into each other and the incredible strength that they showed that each one has was on display i think that really was a fun match for me this it, it wasn't about technique it wasn't about wrestling skill it was just about who's the strongest who's the biggest who's going to win who's going to who's going to withstand the the onslaught from the other and i'm gonna be honest i think ishii was the right choice here um he's one i could see going forward and and being a a contender later on down the road just because of his work rate once again he's another i think underrated um wrestler in this in this organization that he does so much good work he's able to do so many things that the types of people he wrestles and he gets, he's involved with great matches with them between Kenny Omega and some of these other matches that he's done. And they're so good and solid and he's a part of all of them. So you can't discount his work and what he does. And this match, I think again, proved how good of a wrestler he really is. 
it's crazy because I feel like Tomohiro Ishii is one of those guys. He's bigger in the United States than he is in Japan. Like the company doesn't realize what a star they have on their hands when it comes to Tomohiro Ishii. And I, as I think back to it, it all kind of started at the first G1 show that they did in Long Beach when they did the United States Championship Tournament and that matchup with Kenny Omega when Tomohiro Ishii bit the top rope as Kenny's going for the, the German suplex off the side of the apron through a table and he can't do it because Ishii's got the top rope by his teeth. That's the moment that Ishii got over in the United States. I agree. I mean, because let's be honest, there's nobody like Ishii in the United States. I mean, and then his ability to do, I mean, I would say maybe Jeff Cobb, you know, when they, when they got together last year, that was such a good match um, seeing that. Um, But he, I, you know, here, I mean, when, when he, when we were in G1 and he was in the tags um, for the G1, when he was announced the, the crowd went nuts. You thought he was a, you know, top two star. Um, and I think it was that, I think the other half of it was, was he was a Japanese wrestler willing to come across, come do the work for this tournament. And the work that he did was excellent. He put on an incredible show on all those G one, you know, American matches, you know, just everyone was just great. All of them were great. Even in the final match with Kenny Omega, they were all great. And he came over and did that. I think that was the other thing that made, made it for the American audience. It wasn't just random schmoes. Ishii came over and he proved that he's a top tier guy. And he came over to America to show that, uh, because let's be honest, he's been kind of mid, mid middle of the road, but I think that G one us special with the matches for the United States heavyweight title, um, I think that's what really put him over the fact that he came over here. He did that and he put on those matches. Can you believe that Togi Makabe is only three years older than Tomohiro Ishii? No, <laughs> I can't. Makabe looks so much older to me. Ishii's, he lo- he Ishii looks- is 44 already. Holy cow. Holy cow. We need to get him a title or something because, right? you know. He, he he deserves it. He's done an incredible amount of work. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, it's like that. he just didn't get over until he was like forty. Yeah, you know, which hey, sometimes that happens. But when it happens, you need to strike while the iron's hot. New Japan. I'm just saying, if you're listening, New Japan, strike while the iron's hot. He's hot. Let's do it. Your six man clusterfuck tag: Taguchi, Ibushi, and Tanahashi defeat Tai Chi, Zack Saber Jr., and Doki. the The concern here is at the end of the match, Ibushi and Tanahashi talking mad smack to Tai Chi and Zack Sabre Jr. I'm kind of worried that Tai Chi is going to beat Ibushi. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. You know, I I think that's a possibility in this aspect is that um, that, that Gato is setting it up to where uh, Tai Chi, pardon me, goes through both golden aces and says, Hey, we deserve a title shot, you know? And, and so, uh, which to me, interesting matchup. I'm there for it. You've got the dangerous techers versus golden aces. You got guys who don't like each other. I mean, Zach Saber jr. Doesn't like Tana and he doesn't like Ibushi and Tai Chi has proven that he doesn't like those guys either. And I think it, the sentiment goes both ways. I think it's going to be a hell of a match. If those, those four get together, 
So I could see that being a possibility of of the Golden Aces facing the Dangerous Techers, and I'm I'm for it. That Dominion that would be great if they did that because Tai Chi went over on both of them, and to me that would just be a great story. It's a hell of a co-main event for Tetsuya Naito versus the winner uh, of the New Japan Cup. Hiromu, totally. Hiromu defeats Yano via countout, not in the match that I was hoping for in any way, shape, or form. Um, I wanted to see Hiromu, Hiromu go out there and basically either beat the ever-loving hell out of Toru Yano and leave him a bloody mess in the middle of the ring or shave Yano's ass bald. I would have been happy with either one of those two situations, but this was just... This was Hiromu and Yano. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. We What we want and what we get are two different things. Um, but if I'm honest with you, I kind of dug this match. I was I was here for it. I loved, you know, because it, I loved Hiroma. When he came out with the hard hat on, I was like, all right, all right, this is cool. I see where this is going. I'm here for it. I thought maybe we would get used at some point uh, as a weapon. Uh, Yano coming out with the clipper. How much... How much crap can he keep in his pants? I mean, dude, I think clippers. he had like four sets of shears and three sets of clippers, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, his pants were a freaking tesseract, man. And if you don't know what a tesseract is, it's a thing that looks small on the outside but is infinitely big on the inside, where you can store a mass amount of things. So uh, his pants were a tesseract where he just kept pulling stuff out. I'm like, first of all, I'm not keeping those scissors near my junk at all. And, I mean, that's brave in and of itself. And then. You know, just the whole aspect of telling that story of I'm going to get it again. And when he finally did, he, he you know, taping, uh, taping Hiromu to Suji and then uh, going for the hair. But then Hiromu, you know, beating him and taking him. I love the ending, taking him to the elevator, putting him in it, pushing the button, sending him down, making it to the ring in time. And he's counted out because there's no way he's making it back. You know, taping his eyes so he can't see. So he can't just push the button to come back. You know. I loved it. I thought it was creative. It was fun. I know it's a Yoshi. I mean, I know it's a, a Yano match and you're not a Yano guy, but to me, this was the best in a, in a comedy storytelling way without any fans to where you could still react in a positive way to it. Despite the fact that there was nobody there, they told a good story and it was funny and creative. I, I, I was there for it. I dug it, but you know, that's me. It felt like the Gano versus Kenny Omega matches from the G1. Yeah, okay, I could see that a little bit. Like once a uh, year, I mean, you would get to see Kenny do a DDT-style match against Toru Yano in the G1, and that's very much what this match felt like, and I hated all those matches. I, I didn't like this one either. I, <laughs> I, It's just not my cup of tea, especially in the empty arena. I just felt like it just did not work. I can understand that. I could see where having it with with fans would have been a big difference, but I think that's where this one versus the Taguchi Sonata match. This I think this is where these two guys made a difference is because they told a story that didn't require fans, you know. Uh, so therefore, the comedy was still comedy despite the fact that there were no fans to react to. It to me, it still made it work. It was creative. Um, I mean. To put, when have we ever seen somebody put a guy in an elevator with his eyes taped down and he wins the match by count out that way? You know, I, I loved it because that was so creative and unique and different. I haven't seen that before, especially in Corrigan. Uh, you, you see that and it was just, 
I was like, brilliant. That's the best way to use your surroundings and have fun with it because, you know, people aren't going to come up and down. So they're able to use something to tell a story and have fun with it and be creative that they normally wouldn't have had with fans there. Because there's no way they would have been able to do that with fans there. And now they are able to do something fun using that um, item that they never would have before. My, my only complaint is that they use the elevator. Have, have you ever seen the stairs going up into Corican? No, I was hoping to be able to go to Japan in the in the uh, for for the Wrestle Kingdom and maybe for you know for um, at Cork in the next day at New Year's Dash this year. But life happens and things change, so not happening this year. But that's okay. There's so hopefully as you go up the stairs, people have done like all kinds of graffiti, and all of the talent have like signed the walls as you're going up the stairs into the fifth floor that is Cork and Hall. And you got to see pictures of this stairwell, man. It's absolutely incredible. I want to see somebody go down the stairs, like with a good camera, that, just so I can see all of it because it, it just looks so freaking cool. That would be cool. I would, I would be there for that. You know, I, I would love to maybe even see somebody incorporate that in one of their matches. You know, where they're fighting and they're fighting their way down the hall, and one of the guys stops and looks at somebody's name who was famous, or maybe even their own name because they're a vain, you know, heel, and they stop and go, oh, look, hey, there's my name, you know, kind of thing, um, as they're fighting down. That would be kind of fun to me. But, you know, I'm, I'm okay with, because their silly is not nearly as bad as WWE silly or some of the other silly out there. So Yeah, at least Hiromu didn't throw a glass of piss in Yano's face. Um, yeah. Okada defeats Nagata in a completely change of pace matchup for your main event to round out the left side of the bracket. Okada getting the win, which is why Nagata defeated Minoru Suzuki to protect Murder Grandpa from Okada again. Uh, Okada it, something's not clicking, man. I don't know what it is, but the match against Gato and the match against Nagata, probably my two least favorite Okada matches that I've seen in a very long time. I I would say the Gato match. Definitely. It made no sense. He should have destroyed him. This one. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I kind of enjoyed it because it almost seemed like he was looking past Nagata. Nagata's 52. He's old. He's, he poses no threat and Nagata in turn made him effing work for it, you know, to get this win, he had to work for it. And that's kind of the storytelling I got from it was, uh, Okada was kind of like, yeah, whatever, dude, you know, you're justice grandpa. I don't care. And Nagata's going like, okay, you think it's going to be a cakewalk? I'm going to make you work for it. And I think that was evident by the end of it. I think he, he took the first two matches lightly. And I think that's where, Maybe this is going to bite him in the ass in the next round is that he he's going to in his next matchup is that he's going to take that person lightly and, and it's not going to work out well for him. So uh, I'm down for everything that they've put out so far, because once again, it's that red herring. Um, we, everybody thinks Okada's going to do it. And we see that he may not because he's looking past people. He, he, he wants that world heavyweight uh, title back. And so he's looking past people at Nido and yet he's not taking care of business and it's going to hurt him in the long run. And so to me, this was a good match. I thought it was, you know, something unique and different. How often have we seen Nagata versus Okada? I don't remember seeing it, but I've only been watching for the last three to four years consistently. Um, this so is their first singles match in five years. Wow. Okay. So yeah. So before my time of watching, uh, you know, I haven't seen this match. So 
to me, it was a great match. I thought it was enjoyable. The story they told behind it, to me, that's the story they were telling is Nagata was making him work for it because he was looking past him. And Nagata says, Oh no, 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 son, I'm going to make you work for it. Um, you know, I, and I also like the ending where Okada actually submitted Nagata because Nagata is known for that. You know, he's known for putting the arm bar on somebody and submitting them. And Okada didn't use a rainmaker. He used submission hold to, to make him tap out to win the match, which how often have we seen that? You know, we don't see that either. He also tapped out Gato. He hasn't hit a rainmaker in this tournament yet. Yeah, he's he's over on on rainmakers, and so I think that's an interesting story we're telling. Is he hasn't hit a rainmaker? He tapped out Gato. He tapped out Nagata, and Nagata, known for being a submission guy, um, for the most part, you know, his most famous move, you know, is is the armbar, and he his eyes roll back at his head, and he just trances out. So, um, you know, to me, that was an interesting part of the story that ended it, um, and and really showed. Uh, what Okada can do, um, especially even though he's kind of looking past people, um, he can still turn it on when he wants to. So let's talk about the next couple of shows. The right side, round two, right side of the bracket goes down on July 1st. The matches that night will be Tai Chi versus Ibushi, Sonata versus Sho, Yoshihashi versus Bushi, which is sure to be the opener, and Evil oh versus Goto. I think the match I'm most intrigued here is Evil versus Goto. I assume that Goto gets the win, but I wouldn't be majorly surprised to see Evil beat Goto. Yeah, I think that one's a toss-up, to be honest with you. I think you can go either way and it not be terrible. Because, um, once again, both guys have, have good work rates, but if I'm picking, I'm picking Goto because I'm just not an evil guy. You know, I, Once again, I can't stand his gimmick and, and his work. Not necessarily his work rate, but his formulaic style. Um, but I, you, I, you, you couldn't tell me which one would win because I don't know for sure. But but personal preference, I hope Goto goes forward. Consensus opinion: Tai Chi is going to beat Kota Ibushi. Yeah, I think so. I think just because we're trying to tell a story, and that story is we want to make Tai Chi elevate him, but also in turn we want to tell this Golden Aces versus Dangerous Tekker story. Um, I think there's that aspect as well, and so why not let Tai Chi go over? in this aspect against Kota Ibushi round three goes down on my birthday, July 2nd round three. It'll be Taija Ishimori against Kazuchika Okada. I cannot freaking wait to see that matchup. And it will also be Hiromu Takahashi taking on Tomohiro Ishii as if there's not two more contrasting styles in all of new Japan pro wrestling. Okada is going to beat Ishimori, but I think it's going to be a really good match. Hiromu and Ishii. John, who are you taking? You know, I have a hard time seeing Hiromu getting past Ishii. But I'm here for this match. I think I told you when we were talking beforehand uh, earlier in the week, I said, I'm here for the Hiromu-Ishii match. And I think I told you I'd love to see him go forward. I want to see that match. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see what can happen. Uh, I don't see how Hiromu can go forward. Um unless there's interference, um, to be honest with you, but it's LIJ. So let's, let's be honest. There's not, they're not above that. Um, I, once again, this is one that 
my heart says Ishii goes forward because I just can't see pulling the trigger. Um, and the Okada Ishimori match, I think it's going to be great, you know, and look, let's be honest here. I wouldn't be surprised because Gato has got some tricks up his sleeve. If he puts Ishimori over Okada, I know this is sound crazy. I know it sounds weird, but could this be the point where he overlooks someone to the point where it comes back to bite him in the ass? Well, see, and I'm, I'm thinking that happens in the next round because I feel like that's the story that you tell for Hiromu to get a win over Kazuchika Okada. Yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, if, but that's, that's me saying, okay, um, Ishii loses to Hiromu. You know, I'm looking at it from an Ishii win point of view. And so, um, you know, I think an Ishii, Ishimori match would be kind of intriguing. Um, I guess I'm wanting Ishii to kind of make his way as far as possible because I like his work. But if I'm honest, you know, I could see that too. The Hiromu Okada matchup being where that's the point that he finally goes, oh, yeah, I'm, I don't care about you. You're a junior. And then he turns around and does something to maybe a roll up win and catches him off guard. I guess my feeling is, and everything feels to me like they're setting up Okada to win this tournament, but I, I don't see them putting Okada over in the end because I feel like whoever wins the new Japan cup goes to dominion to lose to Tetsuya Naito. So you have to protect whoever is going to win the cup in the loss to Naito that being said, who do you think is going to win the New Japan Cup? Oh, you know, of of the people left, I mean, I think a Naito Ishii match would be great. You protect Ishii, you put him on that next level, you make him a star, um, and then in turn, you're able to protect Okada. You're able to, you know, like I said, maybe you give him that story in the G1. It's a redemptive story, and he's able to protect at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, you know, Ishii's going to give him a good match. I mean, he, he does great work. Um, and so, Hey, why not elevate the guy? He's done incredible work for you so far. Let's make him this, the new Japan cup winner. Um, you know, you know, he's not going to smile. He's just going to look there and, and stand tough with the, with the, with the trophy. And then that, to me, that matchup of Naito versus Ishii is, is going to be a, a story. It's going to be a good match where everybody's going to be like, okay, yeah, I'm here for this. This is, this is going to be fun because they're going to be able to do some things, um, that probably we weren't prepared for. And I think, um, it'll be well worth the watch, especially with having crowds. You're going to have the Naito crowd and you're going to have the chaos crowd and, and Ishii's going to have fans who are being, who are going to be on board by then. I think it's going to be a good matchup for that dominion, uh, you know, show right there. I am so terrified that they're going to put Goto over in this tournament. They can't. There's no way they can. He's gotten too many opportunities. He's gotten too many shots, and it's just been kind of, eh. You know, I, I don't see how they can. But the, once again, Gato sometimes falls into his old standbys, too. Goto versus Naito in Osaka. It just... It, it just feels like that's going to happen, and, and I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I don't either. I don't either. I would rather see Ishii. I think Ishii would Agreed. give you a better product. I'd rather see Hiromu and Naito. Give us the match we were going to get an anniversary. Right. But uh, let's be honest. Uh, Hiromu going through as a junior, going through all the heavyweights. I, I, I can't put my head on that. I can't. I can't do it. 
Yeah, but I also couldn't put my head on Tai Chi beating Hiroshi Tanahashi. I'm sorry. I just <laughs> this true. This is true. Yeah, you're not wrong there. You're not wrong there. I'm just beside myself. Ice T Shane was right. He was right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll agree that he was right for that that moment. John, thank you very much for joining me on this week's episode of Destino. Why don't you tell people how to keep up with you on social media if they feel so inclined? Hey, if you feel so inclined, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at jreezymen. Uh, on Facebook, is just John Enright, E-N-R-I-G-H-T. I work for a nonprofit here in Weatherford, Texas. It's a rural town in Texas, uh, so we don't have the COVID, which is nice. Uh, the nonprofit I work for is called Freedom House. We help victims of sexual assault, domestic violence, family violence, um, and we have a shelter on site and other things. So uh, if you need resources, we can help you uh, because most of you might not live in the Texas rural area. But we can connect you with those informations or how to deal with some of those situations. And I also run the teen program called Crossroads. Um, those are both on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us on there. And um, we help teens in Parker County, which is the county I live in, and to help make good choices to keep them from being a statistic and keep them from making bad choices, how to make good relationship choices, life choices. Uh, we teach them life skills and all kinds of things. So um, I'm always out trying to do something for my community. Hopefully you are too. If you don't know, come. you can contact me and I can tell you how your community needs help um, with simple programs and places that need volunteers. They always need something, a donation of foods or, or money or volunteer time. So uh, I'll be glad to help you figure out what's the best way to connect with your community. Awesome. Well done, man. We'll do this again soon. Sounds great, man. I look forward to it. That wraps up yet another edition of Destino, a New Japan Pro Wrestling Podcast. Thanks to John Enright for joining me this week. Our next episode will be a little bit of a longer wait with the shows being over the 4th of July weekend here in the United States. I'll be joined by 8-Track Black, Michael Davis, to talk about all the shows going through the semifinal as we get closer to Dominion. I believe we're recording on the 5th of July, so be on the lookout for that. Thanks to our friends over at Hami Media. If you haven't already, be sure to find me and RBV from this past Monday inside the locker room. The HTM Podcast Network, NDPW.com, LastWordOnProWrestling.com, as well as our friends at TheGorillaPosition.com. Thank you for listening, and if you haven't already, please subscribe to the feed. Just search Destino, a New Japan Pro Wrestling podcast on your favorite listening device, and hook us up with one of those five-star ratings. It really helps out in the algorithm. Find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo. Find the show at DestinoPod online at DestinoPod.com. Enjoy the rest of round two. We will talk to you back here next time on Destino, a New Japan Pro Wrestling Podcast. Adios. Yeah.